Good morning, brothers and sisters. Oops. Testing one, two. Very good. Good morning, brothers and sisters. It's good to be with you and to gather in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ together this morning. And uh, if you'll turn with me to Acts chapter 18, we're going to continue in our study that we've been going through, walking through this book to get a feel for the whole thing. But before we actually get into that, uh, while you're turning there, just want to refer to a few things. We, we do appreciate all of the efforts, both behind the scenes and when the week comes for Vacation Bible School. A number of our young people who are with us, have been with us in years past, came to know the Lord personally through the ministry of Vacation Bible School. And one of the exciting things about it is seeing how God is able to use so many parts of the body together in a concerted effort with one goal in mind, to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ, to, uh, uh, to share the gospel, the good news of how a sinner separated from God can be brought back into an eternal relationship with Him because of the work that Christ has done for each and every one of us. And um, so many of these young people today have much less of a foundation than we can imagine about what the Bible really says. Uh, and so... Uh, if you can help in any way, if you can stay for the planning meeting to come after this meeting uh, to see what the needs may be and how you can help, uh, one of the things we need to do is get the word out, right? Postcards have gone out in the mail, but uh, some are being distributed to the young people in their Sunday school class this morning to hand out to their friends and neighbors. If you'd like to bring a few, you know some folks in your neighborhood, grab them um, and, and take them. There, there's also, I think, some larger size ones on the table back here. You, a reminder for yourself or your family and friends. And on Saturday, we're ready. We've got several hundred. Uh, hopefully we have to print more uh, door hangers to go in the neighborhood. So what we've done is we've tried to mail them out to those that we know of who've been coming years past. Uh, but there's more people in the neighborhood, so we want to get out to them. And so uh, just lift it up in prayer. Let everyone know and come out. It starts next Sunday evening at 645. And uh, we will do that. Uh, one of the things that I think we, we, we meant to mention regarding the home Bible studies this evening is that um, the format is very different. We gather in various people's homes uh, to discuss a number of different topics from time to time when we do this. We just want to remember that although the format is different, we would just ask the ladies to bring along their head coverings so we can have the proper order even as we mingle with one another and uh, have our discussion and study time. Um, so just to remember that. Well, I think by now, I think we are all in Acts chapter 18. And so let's begin, first of all, by reading the passage we're going to consider this morning. I know that uh, last week, I wasn't here, but we covered the first part of the chapter, verses 1 through 17. And we'll refer to part of that in a few minutes. But first, let's begin our reading, Acts chapter 18, verse 18. So Paul still remained a good while, and then he took leave of the brethren and sailed for Syria, and Priscilla and Aquila were with him. Now he had his hair cut off at Centria, for he, was, he had taken a vow. And he came to Ephesus and left them there, but he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay a longer time with them, he did not consent but took leave of them, saying, I must by all means keep this com coming feast in Jerusalem, but I will return again to you, God willing. And he sailed from Ephesus. And when he had landed at Caesarea and gone up and greeted the church, he went down to Antioch. 
And after he had spent some time there, he departed and went over the region of Galatia and Phrygia in order, strengthening all the disciples. Now a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. And when Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained the, to him the way of God more accurately. And when he desired to cross to Achaia, the brethren rode, exhorting the disciples to receive him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who had, been, who had believed through grace. For he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. Chapter 19. And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus and finding some disciples, he said to them, did you believe? He said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, into what then were you baptized? So they said, into John's baptism. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now the men were about 12 in all. Verse 8, And when he came into the synagogue and spoke boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. But when some were hardened and did not believe, but spoke evil of the way before the multitude, he departed from them and withdrew the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. And this continued for two years, so that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. Now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, We exorcise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. Also, there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest who did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? And the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowered them, and prevailed against them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. This became known both to all Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus, and fear fell on them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. Also, many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted up the value of them and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. And when these things were accomplished, Paul purposed in the spirit when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem, saying, After I've been there, I must also see Rome. And so he went into Macedonia, 
So he sent into Macedonia two of those who ministered to him, Timothy and Erastus, but he himself stayed in Asia for a time. And about that time there arose a great commotion about the way. For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Diana, brought no small profit to the craftsmen. He called them together with the workers of similar occupation and said, Men, you know that we have our prosperity by this trade. And moreover, you see and hear that not only at Ephesus, but throughout almost all Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away many people, saying that they are not gods which are made with hands. So not only is this trade of ours in danger of falling into disrepute, but also the temple of the great goddess Diana may he may be despised and her magnificence destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worship. Now, when they heard this, they were full of wrath and cried out, saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians! So the whole city was filled with confusion and rushed into the... Th to the theater with one accord, having seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians, Paul's travel companions. And when Paul wanted to go to the people, the disciples would not allow him. For some of the officials of Asia, who were his friends, sent to him pleading that he would not venture into the theater. Some, therefore, cried one thing and some another, for the assembly was confused, and most of them did not even know why they had come together. And they drew Alexander out of the multitude, the Jews putting him forward, and Alexander motioned with his hand, wanting to make his defense to the people. But when they found out that he was a Jew, all with one voice cried out for about two hours, Great is Diana of the Ephesians! And when the city clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, what man is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is temple guardian of the great goddess Diana? and of the image which fell down from Zeus. Therefore, since these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rashly. For you have brought these men here who are neither robbers of temples nor blasphemers of your goddess. Therefore, if Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a case against anyone, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you have any other inquiry to make, it shall be determined in the lawful assembly. For we are in danger of being called into question for today's uproar, there being no reason which we may give to account for this disorderly gathering. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. Our Father, as we have read your word this morning, we would once again thank you for it. We remember even now, this is the 400th birthday of the writing of the English Bible that uh, we read together here from week to week. And we're just so thankful for the many people who have faithfully transmitted your word from its original giving to ourselves that we might put our confidence and our faith in the very words therein, knowing that they are from you and that you are faithful and you will perform every promise that you have made in this word. And Father, as we look back now to this period of history where the word of God began to spread, the name of the Lord Jesus magnified from person to person, from nation to nation, to reach the ends of the world, to fulfill the great commission our Savior left before he ascended into glory. We pray that it would once again stir our hearts, that we would be encouraged, that we would be challenged, that we would be drawn to him. 
for he deserves all the glory that we can give. We would pray, Lord, if there's anyone here who does not know the Lord Jesus as their personal Savior, that you would, that you would draw them to him today, that they would put their faith in the work that he has done and learn to walk with him daily. Help us to go be doers of this word and not hearers only, deceiving ourselves. May, may we be changed and made more like our Savior himself. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen. I know we've got a lot before us. But see, we're, we're trying to get a sense for the history. So what I'd like to do is just kind of first go back and recap where we've been, where we're at, and what's coming. And I, I'd like to, to spend a little bit of time highlighting a few points that the Lord really laid on my heart in studying this passage. Now, first of all, for those who have not been here, I know we have a lot of visitors today. It's not a great number of books, but some that actually give you a verse that pretty much outlines the book. And um, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, in my understanding, is a great outline for the book of, of the Acts of the Apostles. It was the, the very time when our Lord Jesus ascended into heaven. He had already gone to the grave. He had, he had died on the cross, paid the penalty for sin. He had risen from the dead on the third day and revealed himself to over 500 witnesses. And it was a proven fact that he was indeed alive and well. And he was returning to glory. And, and, and he said, if I go, and to prepare a place for you, he says, if I go, I will come again to receive you unto myself. And he gave instructions to his disciples. He said that they were to take this message to the ends of the earth. And, and here we see how it would happen. Verse 8, they were asking about other things, about when the kingdom will be restored to Israel. But he said in verse 7, it's not for you to know those things, which the Father has put in his own authority, but, verse 8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. See, Jesus had said in John chapter, uh, uh, I believe it was 16, that the Holy Spirit is with you and will be in you. The ministry of the Holy Spirit would change after Christ himself would ascend into glory. And he said, I will send the Comforter back to you. He will reveal you to you all truth. He will call to your mind all the things that I've already spoken to you. And he predicted that this would happen. He says, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And here's what's going to happen. You shall be my witnesses. In Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And this book shows how that literally took place. In chapters 2 and 3, we see there in Jerusalem, the Holy Spirit descended and it caused a great commotion. These men who were unlearned, unstudied men began to speak in other languages or tongues as the Bible calls them. And it wasn't just some gibberish. It was literal languages that everyone who was there from other towns understood. It was a miracle of God. It was a sign that the Holy Spirit had come as Jesus promised. And he, he was testifying and praising God through these men. And the word began to spread through Jerusalem and, and miracles began to take place. And, and, uh, Peter and John were at the forefront of what was happening in those early chapters of Acts. But then we see as the persecution arose through Saul, the one we now know as Paul in the chapters we're studying today, he came to know the Lord in chapter 9. But in chapter 8 we saw the word began to spread into Samaria, into the regions beyond Jerusalem. And uh, uh, as this persecution arose, they began to scatter all over and the word of God went with them. And Paul himself was commissioned in chapter 13 to begin 
to go to the Gentiles in the far reaches of the known world then to share the gospel. And the passage we take up now is the midst of his second journey into uh, what is now modern-day Turkey and Greece to be able to share the gospel with those who had not heard. And many were getting saved and coming to know him. And churches were being established in these places. And currently in chapter 18, we find Paul at the city of Corinth. And we learn there, last week we saw that, that his pattern was such that he would first of all go to the synagogue, the Jewish synagogue where people gathered who had the scriptures, who uh, uh, were looking for the Savior to come and had a foundation already laid so that he could find them and share with them the fulfillment of those prophecies from the Old Testament. The Savior has come. His name is Jesus. He is the Christ. God has made him both Lord and Christ, and you need to turn to him. And many would turn, but many would reject. And there would come a point where these Jewish people who had the Scriptures, if they began to speak evil of the truths that Paul was proclaiming to them concerning Christ, he would then tell them, I'm now turning to share this good news with the Gentiles. And for some of the Jews, they really reacted hard to that. And they would persecute him even more. But both Jews and Gentiles were believing and at this time, when, the, when, when, when this opposition began to rise, the Lord told Paul, in verse 9 of chapter 18, He said, The Lord spoke to Paul in, a, in the night by a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, but speak. And do not keep silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to hurt you, for I have many people in this city. And so it says, He continued there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. He, he trusted in this promise of God. He stayed and planted himself there. You know, we saw just a few chapters before when persecution arose, he up and he left town and went on to the next town. But this time, even though there was this opposition arising, the Lord told him, stay put. And so he did. In this time period where he was teaching the word of God, we saw last week that, that the Jews seized Paul and some of his fellow workers and they brought them to the proconsul the appointed authority there in Corinth. And they had this place called the Bema Seat. It was out in the public square. And it was there where, where it was like open court. And the Jews wanted to make accusations against Paul and his companions. And when Gallio, the man in charge at that time, heard that it was matters of Jewish law and not civil court problems, he dismissed the case and said, I don't care to hear anything about it. And there was a beating of the ruler of the synagogue that day. But notice, Paul was unharmed. The Lord was protecting him. And so as we pick up our story today, one of the things that I, I noted is it says, so Paul still remained a good while with them. And after that good while, it says, then he took leave of the brethren and sailed for Syria. Now, It's just such a striking comment to me. I wanted to just stop right there, even before I finish the history, to talk about some practical application. Um, one of the challenges we have in our daily experience is to understand the will of God day by day. We have the basic blueprint. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. We have God's law outlining righteousness and morality. And we're expected to abide by those things. They, they would present for us the sidelines on this game 
field of life. But exactly where we're to walk on that field as we, as we walk down the, 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 the road of life, if you will, there's a lot of questions that we have that you can't find chapter and verse for. And Paul was always making decisions. And, and, and you know, as we try to figure out how to live our life before the Lord as disciples of the Lord Jesus today, many times we have these questions. Should I go there or should I stay here? Should I, should I do this or should I do that? And, and, and sometimes we, we look at a life like Paul and we want to say, okay, well, well let's, let's find a formula so we can just kind of plug it into the machine and, and get our answer out the other side. And it's difficult with things like this. Persecution arose the other chapter, and it says, therefore he stayed longer. Another chapter, there's persecution, he leaves town. He hears of a, of a scheme, and, he's run, and he flees to the next city. And, 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 and so how do we find the formula? Well, right here, we see what his confidence was in. The Word of God. God had given him this revelation. I want you to stay here. Don't be afraid. No one's going to harm you. And so he planted himself. And uh, it reminded me so much of the Israelites leaving Egypt. You know, if you look at the actual passage in Exodus 40, it's the last chapter in the book of Exodus. The book of Exodus is about that departure from Egypt, where the Lord wrote, He raised up Moses to come in and tell Pharaoh, the Lord said, let my people go. And Pharaoh said, no. And so the Lord sent ten different plagues upon the people. And finally, after the tenth plague, they departed. And as they went, Pharaoh said to himself, now what have I done? I just got rid of all the working class of our country. Now we got to do the work. That was a foolish decision. So he ran after them to take them back. But why couldn't he do it? The Bible tells us that the presence of the Lord was, with, was going before the Israelites in this pillar of cloud, in this pillar of fire by night. His presence was seen amongst them and he would go before them. And at one point it even lifted up and went behind them to separate the Egyptians from the Israelites as a protection. I said, you know, that's just what's happening here. It's the presence of God was with Paul there in Corinth. And he said, don't run away. I've got a work for you to do here. I've got many people in this city. No harm is going to come to you. I'm going to take care of you. And it's almost as if that pillar of fire or cloud went behind Paul to protect him. And it says at the end of Exodus, in chapter 40, Then the cloud covered the tabernacle of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. God had given the instructions to Moses on how to build this tabernacle or tent of meeting where, where God's presence would dwell. And see, that cloud covered that tabernacle and filled the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tabernacle of meeting because the cloud rested above it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And note this, verse 36. Whenever the cloud was taken up from above the tabernacle, the children of God would go onward in all their journeys. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not journey until the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was above the tabernacle by day, and, f and fire was over it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. This was a visible representation of the presence of God with them. And they didn't know God's schedule. They just knew He was going to take them to the promised land. And sometimes they would travel for two or three days straight. And at the end of the day, the cloud would come down and descend. And they say, okay, here's where we're, here's where we're going to uh, pitch camp. And they would set up the, the tabernacle. They would camp around it. And next morning, they didn't know whether they were going to stay for another day. 
stay for another week, stay for another month, or whether they were going to pack up and go. Now, God could have told them, tonight we're going to camp here for another two weeks, so really settle in. He didn't do that. He said, here's where we are right now. Let's pitch camp. Be ready. When the cloud lifts, we go. Why would he do that? Unless what he's looking for is moment by moment looking to him to find the direction. They knew the destination, but the journey was in the Lord's hands. And they would wait. Now, you know, there were times where the Lord told them, okay, today we go in to take over the land. But those 10 spies who had gone before them said, ah, uh-uh. There's giants in that land. You know, we saw them with our eyes and we were like grasshoppers to them. Uh, you know, we can't take that. And they refused to follow the Lord. The Lord said, go, and they said, no. But you know, the, the, other, the other things happened too. Once they realized what they had done and, and they saw the consequences that were upon them, the judgment of God came down. They said, okay, well, listen, everybody get ready, we're going. But by now the cloud had settled again. God said, no, I'm not going with you. My plan has changed. We need to deal with some things. We're not moving forward yet. And, and so they wanted to go, but the Lord said, no. We want to follow the Lord's leading. And, you know, this is, uh, uh, this is what Paul shows us in Acts chapter 18. This is what we see in the history of the, the Israelites in the Old Testament. But you know what? We see it in the Lord Jesus' life too, don't we? When you see in Matthew chapter 4, where the Lord had come to John to be baptized to fulfill all righteousness. Not that he needed to repent, but he was identifying himself with the, 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 the predictions of, of John, telling the people that they needed to repent to prepare their hearts for the kingdom of God was upon them. The Savior was coming and they needed to be ready by repenting, by turning away from their sin and turning to the Lord. Immediately, we see... That's not Matthew. Forgive me. Matthew chapter 4. Immediately following this baptism, the Scriptures read, Matthew 4.1, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now Luke's Gospel says, The Spirit led him into the wilderness being tempted by the devil. But the, the, the common denominator is the Spirit led him into the wilderness. What happened in the wilderness? Number one, he was tempted by the devil. Number two, he fasted for 40 days. Notice verse 2. When he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. I would be too. Now when the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, then command that these stones become bread. But Jesus answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so then the devil goes on to a new temptation. But just stop for a minute. For years, as a young person, I asked myself, now, what would have been wrong with him turning those stones to bread? He was hungry. He had the power to do so. And I've heard a number of people postulate as to what the answer might be. And I'm not going to say they're wrong. Because the observation is true. The Lord Jesus never used his divine powers to serve himself. 
He limited that use for the ministry to others. Which is a tremendous example to you and me. That we should not just live our lives to serve ourselves, but to consider others first, as Christ did. But also, he would limit himself that he could truly be the example to us on how to live a life of obedience to the will of God. You and I can't grab a magic wand and create miracles to get ourselves out of tight spots. He limited himself. And so, to do that would have broken both of those examples, right? But, but I think the real issue is this. It was the will of God for him to fast. And the Spirit of God had not released him from the fast. And as hungry as he was, he committed himself to the will of the Father to know what was best for him, to wait for his timing and for his provision. Forty days is a long time to wait, isn't it? For some bread? Easy to rationalize and say, well, you know, a little bit's not going to hurt. Just to, you know, I mean, it's one of my basic needs. But man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Isn't that what Jesus told Mary and Martha there in the in their house, the day that Martha was complaining that, that Mary wasn't helping with, with the preparations for the meal. The Lord said, Martha, you're distracted by so many things, but only one thing is necessary. And that's what Mary was doing, seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. And he refused to take that blessing from her. And when the time was right, Mary got up and she did help. But her priorities were right. And brothers and sisters, how often are we like Saul of the Old Testament who was told that Samuel the prophet would come to make the sacrifice, but we get distracted. The enemy's coming. We have to do something. We're going to lose the confidence of the people. Ah, ah! And we step outside of the revealed will of God because we don't really trust Him. We won't trust His Word. I find myself that way all the time. Do I really believe that the Lord is sovereign in every way in my life? Well, then why is it I re rebel against all of the thi things that come into my life that weren't a car part of my plan? You know, I was just telling someone this morning, I don't think a single day went by this week that went according to our plan. And I found myself having to reshift this to there and this to there. And I thought it would all work out and it, it didn't. It, nothing happened the way I thought it would. And I had to look at my own attitude and say, okay, where is the cloud of the Lord resting can I trust that I found it very challenging and so I appeal to you as brothers and sisters in Christ this is our commission to follow the word of the Lord now for you who don't know the Lord as your savior perhaps there's someone who's visiting us today and, and none of this makes perfect, quite, quite makes sense to you you know the Israelites had already left Egypt they had been in slavery and bondage to Pharaoh it wasn't a work of theirs that they were trying to do to get themselves out of this tight spot. When it comes to being rescued from slavery, the Lord stepped in. He did all the work. He pulled them out. He brought them out. Moses tried himself to help his people. Murdered a man. Had to flee away from Egypt. Forty years lost on the time frame, right? But 
Each of us have to come to that place where we say, you know what? My efforts are not going to work. I've got to trust the work of God. And He has shown the way, not by a pillar of cloud or fire today, but in the person of the Lord Jesus. He has gone for us to the place of judgment on the cross to pay for my sin and for yours. And He says, you can't do anything to erase it yourself, to save yourself. You've just got to come to Christ. Put your trust in the work that He has done. And then, as you come to Him, and He takes up residence in your life, then this whole principle of learning to follow Him begins to come into play. But this is the lesson that was so challenging to me as I studied this. And I know we haven't even looked at the rest of the, the passage. It is just fantastic to consider the, the desperate times that were going on for Paul. But he was willing to trust the Lord. And may God help us. So what does he do? The Lord reveals to him that it's time for him to leave. He's going back to Jerusalem to celebrate the coming feast. It was so important to him that although they wanted him to stay there, they wanted him to stay um, in Ephesus when he, when he reached there. But he said, no, God willing, I'd like to return to you. Good to add that to all of our plans, right? He said, I'll come to you again, God willing. But he, he, he worked his way back to the town he started from in Antioch after going down for the feast in Jerusalem. But after spending some time back in Antioch, he is moved again in his spirit to go back and visit the brethren. Why? To strengthen the disciples, to encourage them in the word of God that they too might continue this life of faith and dependence upon God. And while he's there, I love this, um, he's starting his journey through Asia once again, but back where Paul left these two people, Aquila and Priscilla, in Ephesus, they meet a man named Apollos. Apollos was raised... Uh, it appears in Alexandria, the, the, the part of Egypt down there where in this time there were believers living there because of the scattering of the Lord's people. And obviously there had been great teaching of the word of God there because the, the testimony of this man being fervent in spirit, instructed in the way of the Lord, he spoke accurately the things of the Lord. But look at this. He only knew the baptism of John. He was still in the Old Testament scriptures thinking the Savior is still going to come. And he's telling them, this is the way it's going to be. And he's speaking confidently, boldly, accurately according to the word of God. But there was something missing. The Savior had already come and he didn't realize this. And so, bless the Lord for people like Aquila and Priscilla. They heard him speaking boldly in the synagogue, but they weren't intimidated. You know, sometime when the big, powerful named speakers, eloquent Come, come to us. You ever find yourself a little intimidated to go talk to them about the scriptures because you feel like, well, who am I? And, and they study the word all day and they travel here and there. And, but they were bold enough and cared enough and humble enough that it says they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. They told him about Christ! And he believed! And he began to go on and share this with others. This is the ministry of hospitality. Not just what goes on here, but, but when we can actually sit down with one another and spend a little bit of time sharing from the heart, opening God's word, encouraging one another, challenging one another, reminding each other of things like we've even looked at today, to wait upon the Lord, to put our confidence in his word, to depend upon him. And so, because of this ministry, he begins to go on and he goes to, uh, 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 he leaves uh Ephesus, and he goes to Achaia. He goes across, actually, he's going to end up in Corinth, right? And 
They wrote him a letter. They wrote a letter for him. This is why we do this. If you have travel and you ask the saints here locally for a letter to go to, so that where you're going, the people will know that you are a believer. You're in fellowship and and, and, and walking in a path of obedience before the Lord as much as the saints know. And they wrote him a letter. He was received, and he began to do the same there um, at Corinth, and was preaching. However, it says while Apollos was now at Corinth, Paul came in his journeys and came to Ephesus and he found some of these disciples who had been there <coughs> and received the, the, the ministry of Apollos but did not understand about Christ and were not baptized in the name of Christ. They had only been baptized in John's baptism. Their hearts had been prepared for the message but they hadn't fully received it. And so when Paul gave them the full message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It says they believed and were baptized. I love this instantaneous heart of obedience in these believers. Is it a challenge to you to read that? It says here, verse 5, when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. They didn't have to be persuaded. They didn't have to, 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 to fill out a 12-week course. They said, the Lord says I'm supposed to be baptized. I want to obey. I'm going to identify with him and be baptized. And they were. About 12 of them. And so now they began to go, and Paul speaks boldly again, reasoning in the, te- in the synagogue concerning the things of the kingdom of God. But again, we see some people believed, some people did not, and there began to be this um, reaction. I love the reaction at Ephesus. Um, if I can just make a comment about these evil spirits. These men who did not know the Lord were trying to follow a little formula, throwing around the name of Jesus in order to cast out evil spirits. But did you notice what the evil spirits said to these men? Jesus I know! And even Paul I know! They're saying, you know, we're going to cast you out by the Jesus that Paul preaches, is what they said, right? I know them, but who are you? They didn't have any identity in the spirit world. They didn't know the Lord personally. But you know, to think that the Lord of the universe knows me, knows my name. And when I come to Him and receive His salvation through Christ, and He begins to work in my life, like Paul, suddenly there are waves being made in the spiritual realm. The Spirit of God working in our lives expands the kingdom of God. And there's going to be reactions from, this, from, from the, even the evil spirits. They're going to know something's going on. They're going to be working to prevent you from sharing the gospel with your friends and neighbors. They're going to be working to discourage you. They're going to be assigned to you, perhaps, to try to cause problems in your life. But praise God, greater is He that is in us than he that is in the world. We don't have to be afraid of those things. But there was a spiritual battle going on. And these men, without the presence of the Lord in their lives, look, they were beat up, ran away naked and wounded. But we're never told to fear the enemy. We're told to fear the Lord because He is greater. And as we follow Him and trust Him, He will do whatever He wills to do in us and for us. But again, many who believed, verse 18 came confessing and telling their deeds. They were 
they were confessing them because they were turning away from them. They said, this is what I've been doing and I want to forsake these things to come to Christ. And, and, and they were not only telling about what they had done, but I love this, verse 19, those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all and they counted up the value of them and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. Now I forgot to do my math on this. When we were studying this with the young people on Friday night, I believe the amount totaled some $600,000 of books that were burned. Now, you know, some people could have said, why don't we just sell them and use the money for the gospel? But, you know, they said to themselves, these are evil things that, that, that they're not only not fit for my life, but they're not fit for anyone else's either. I'd rather burn them than let someone else get their hands on them. And they destroyed them. What a testimony. What a testimony. When the Lord moves in our life and He says, turn away from this, are we willing to burn those things? Or do we, we kind of go hide them in the closet so we can take them out every now and then and keep our little pets? But true repentance, confessing the deeds, telling them to the believers to be accountable for these things and then to turn from them and to make real change in their lives. What a testimony. To think... The church at Ephesus, how strong it became there in this early days of the church because that was the kind of reaction they had. But they had one fault, didn't they? Revealed in the book of Revelation. They had lost their first love. Even though they had protected the truth, the doctrines that the apostles handed off to them, something else was still at the top of that list in the Lord's heart, wasn't it? They lost their first love. May God help us to keep Him as our first love. To know Him not only as our Savior, but as our Lord. To be willing to trust Him, to walk with Him, to turn away from those things, to let them go, to burn them for the sake of holding on to Him and walking with Him day by day. If you've never done that before and you want to know how you can come to know the Lord as your Savior, to be set free from the penalty of your sin, to be set free from the power of sin in your life, talk to us today. You can know that in a moment's time, today. None of us are guaranteed tomorrow. We'd be glad to talk to you. Father, as we close our time together, there's so much more in this chapter that we could touch on. I pray that you would help these thoughts to linger in our hearts and that you would draw us back to these precious scriptures that recount to us not only history, but teach us how you would have us to walk with you. We thank you that you're willing to walk with us. To think that even at the beginning of mankind's history, back with Adam and Eve, they rejected that relationship and, 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 and together uh, walking with you in the garden by choosing their own way. But as you came after them to provide for their salvation, you've come after us and you've provided for our salvation in the perfect work of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We would just lift him up today to testify that He has set us free. And the liberty that we now have to be able to live with You, to serve with You, to look forward to being with You forever is only because of Him. Help us to walk in a way that would please You as children of God. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.